Blog Talk Radio. doing back there? I see you, I see you guys. Creeping through some shots of the UN truck playing our music. Oh my goodness, yes. What's going on people? Side to catch the bingo. Back in action. It has been a long time, long time. I know I took a nice little vacation. Get relaxed, get rejuvenated, start off 2009 with a lot of work, so I was wearing down a little bit, plus, you know, my knee was becoming an issue, so I took a nice little vacation, all of three days, <laughs> so, <laughs> and you know how those things work out, Friday, you're, you know, you're still getting out of the, the, the work mode, even though you have Friday off, Saturday, you realize you actually uh, are on vacation, Sunday, you realize your vacation is almost over, and you have to get ready to go back to school or back to work, or both in my case. And then Monday comes around, you're basically getting ready for Tuesday because you just realized that um, you only took one day to actually do anything. So I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. And a lot of stuff has been going on back in Congo and the Great Lakes and all that stuff. So let me say this outright and and clear and, and stuff like that to the people out there. Kagami is a punk, and I'm going to tell you why. Maybe I was back behind me is asking me why is that. He waited until I went on vacation to send his troops back into Congo. Can you believe can you believe that? Because he knew the minute some size twelve and a half army boots crossed into Kivu from Rwanda, I'd be getting a text message, the Rwandans are back. So he's a punk. I don't care if this gets to him and someone could translate this into Kenya Rwanda. He should have did this when I was still on the air. Before I went on vacation, but no, he decides to creep and, and do when I'm on vacation. And then on top of that, he does in the daytime, like I won't find out. Hey, bring me those pictures over here so I can show you exactly how these Rwandans are creeping into Kivu. But now there's another side of the story, though. Most of those soldiers never really left. I mean, people are like, okay, we got to go back to a little history here. Let's go back to a little history, my people. First off, I hope everybody's doing well. You know, the people in D.C., my family in D.C., you know, Mekongo, Moati, you know, Kendra, my little ones, my mom was down there, helped the folks in Boston are doing well, you know, Musao, Yanja, Shaumba, Te, Kamenopata, uh, Mumye, Simba, you know, Janelle, and all my folks out there, what's going on? Um, hey, check this out, uh, my younger, younger brother, Lou Raja, is now an international motiva- motivating speaker. I'm the same thing. Uh, it's L-O-U-R-A-D-J-A dot com. That's L-O-U-R-A-D-J dot com. Check him out. He's uh, speaking all over the place. There's a lot of speakers in our family, I noticed. You know, I do, my, I do what I do. 
you know, my sisters do what they do at the events they host, or my clones been traveling, you know, speaking, and now Lou's doing it. Probably because, um, you know, we come, our, our, our parents, you know, we have, we have like pastors and reverends in our, in, our, in, our, in our family. So I think we get the oratorial skills from our father's side of the family, stuff like that, and the creative skills uh, from, our, from our mom. But yeah, Lou Roger, check him out. Uh, Omicongo has revamped his web, so now he's able to squeeze more stuff on there. I mean, he does so much stuff. I don't know how he gets it on there in the first place. And you know his website is O-M-E-K-O-N-G-O.com. It's Omekongo, O-M as in Mary, E-K-O-N-G-O.com. By the way, he was featured on Nightline People. Yes, yes, a Congolese was creeping into the cut. Uh, the inauguration of President Barack Obama. Have I? Have we had a show since then? No, we haven't. Oh, okay. Well, much has changed. Also on the state side, uh, Nightline was presenting all the festivities that were taking place in Washington D.C. Uh, during the inauguration, and on uh, during their broadcast, there was Ome Congo in the middle. I don't know where he was performing. I didn't get the information full, but he was performing his uh, spoken word in front of a packed house. I don't mean like one, two, or three people sitting in the back of church looking the other way because there's no, I mean a packed. It was one of those Washington mausoleums where he was like right in the middle. I think there was like four, I think he was surrounded by rope. I got to find that picture because I actually got an image from that line. And the audience, as usual, was in his rapture, was in his grasp, was doing his thing. So, yes, I Congolese was featured. So you never know. You got to watch out. You know, just when folks think we're not, you know, we're, we're nowhere around, you sleep and you find out there we are. So that was really great. Uh, also, my uh, young little niece, Shaoba, I believe Shaoba, is on the cover of a toy. Uh, something from uh, Toys R Us, something like that. So my young little cousin, Shaoba, I believe it's Shaoba, someone correct me if I'm wrong, is on the cover of, uh, I believe, a toy, uh, play school box or a Toys R Us box, something like that. I'm going to try to upload it to the blog. So that's two times. One, a Congolese, Ome Congo, was featured on Nightline during the inauguration. So there we are there. And now play, is it, is it Toys R Us or Play School, something like that? Yeah, my little, my little Shaomba was on the cover there. So Congolese all over the place. Now, people, we have to get back to business here because I know it's been some time since we have talked about the scenario going on in the DRC. And for those that want to tune in later on tonight, you know, we have our word on the street going to be at 7 o'clock. It's going to be a half hour after this show is over. We're going to be profiling Liberian producers based in Hollywood, Courage Timber, who's doing great things. That's the lead word of the street. So, folks, if there's some people out there you want to profile on this show on the word of the street, send me an email, send me a text, send me a chat. You know, do what you can, and I'll talk about them. You want me to talk about you? I'll talk about you. Let me, you know, I'll let people know what you're doing out there. I don't care what you are. You're in Wisconsin, New York, Miami. It'll make a difference. I want to profile people that are doing things that should get some, you know, not publicity just for, hey, look what I'm doing, but just to let people know there are people out there doing things. They're not seeking the fame and the spotlight. They're just steadily doing their work and things like that. So, folks out there, if there's somebody you want to recommend, send me an email, send me a chat, you know, through the chat ways. We can talk about what's going on. Now, oh, here come all the emails. Okay, yes, people, I am back. I am back. Now, as I said before in the beginning, Kagami is a punk. I said it again. He waited until I was on vacation to send the troops back into eastern Congo because he knew I might have to do a live webcam from Goma saying, hey, look, here's the footage straight from the hills. 
But again, the question becomes, did the Rwandan troops ever leave Congo in the first place? Because people remember, I believe it was in 2003, when the a supposedly, quote, unquote, the last 10 Rwandan troops left Goma back to Rwanda. And there's all this international press and all these pictures are being taken about these troops leaving Congo to go back to Rwanda. But let me tell you about, as Malcolm X said, they were being bamboozled. They were being hoodwinked. They were being lied to. Rwandan troops didn't leave Congo back to Rwanda. They stayed in Congo and lied that they went back to Rwanda because what they did was, and I have these reliable sources, trustworthy, verifiable, with no reproach, no, no question about the validity of what they were telling me. There were liable Rwanda troops. They just took off their uniforms, buried it in the ground, hid their guns behind some trees, put on some farmer's outfits, got a cow, and said, we are Boyamalengi, we are Congolese. That's what happened. Now, let's get also to some other situations here because there seems to be some conflicting information going out there about the troops. Now, people, you know how we do things here uh, during our show. We always have those things where we just present the information as it is. We let the people present their thoughts. And, again, you want to on live right now, so send me a chat, send me a question. I will answer it for you. If you want to read your name or where you are, I'll do that also. Call in 646-595-2892, 646-595-2892. My guy, look at all the emails. Now, yes, people, I'm glad to be back. I'm seeing a lot of emails. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's really good to be back. You know, I'm sorry I've gone for a week, and I noticed folks caught the word on the street last week in reference to uh, – uh, the, the African theater company that's in uh, Los Angeles now. But we'll talk about that um, uh, during another day. But you can check them out, Sacred Drum Theater. It's on my Word of the Street segment for last week. Now, let's get back to business here. The report came out that Nkunda was arrested. And, you know, today's show is entitled, Denial Isn't a River in Egypt. And people behind me are cracking up right now on the floor in laughter when I said that. Let's say it again. Denial is not a, re- is not a river in Egypt. Now, people, follow me as we go through the ABCs and the one, two, threes here. First off, it was said that Nkunda was arrested. Now, it says that he was arrested in Rwanda, that he had fled with a lot of cash and a lot of other things and minerals and things like that to Rwanda. Now, on top of that, it says that he was arrested in Rwanda. Now, maybe as uh, Comet has said in Gladiator, my memory might be a little hazy, but didn't uh, Nkunda used to serve with the Rwandan army? Correct me if I'm wrong, people. Thank you very much. So, um, exactly, are we to believe that right now he is sitting like Lubanga in the ICC, that Nkunda is somewhere in Kigali or Gedarama or Butarame or what have you, Yetsayengi, or whatever their prefect, one of their prefects in Rwanda, that he's in a cell block right now with handcuffs on his, on his ankles and, and, and his wrist, chained up, starving somewhere, eating some cassava and some old stale palm wine. People, are we to believe that's what's happening to Nkunda? This is the same Nkunda that Kagami, those guys, were denying for months that they weren't arming. Even when the UN put out a report that Rwanda was supporting Kunda, it was when the BBC, I cannot remember this journalist's name, when he started bringing the hammer to the world press about, yes, Nkunda is being supported by Rwanda. Because I believe it was the UN that was putting out reports that actually showed the phone numbers, calls, and things like that, the communication between Nkunda and Kagame. So conveniently, 
Nkunda is arrested in Rwanda. This is the same Nkunda who fled to Rwanda four years ago. People forget this because I remember vividly. They said, oh, well, when, they put, when Bush put the hammer down on Nkunda and froze his assets of he and the leadership of the CNDP, the CDP, the CDP, I believe it is, he, he fled. People couldn't find him. Well, do you know where he turned up? Four days later, in a group photo with some Rwandan soldiers, smiling, throwing up the peace sign. So let's do it like this, people. We're gonna, I'm, I'm going to put the, the gauntlet down, the challenge, as the Americans say, or as they say in the West. Until I, until I see Nkunda, either at the ICC or in chains and shackles in Kinshasa, I don't mean Eastern Congo, I want to see him in Kinshasa. If it has to be the Roman way of Nkunda's being walked down the Avenue du Independence, fine. But until I see Nkunda, Standing in Kinshasa, I don't care if it's in front of the market and he's tied to a tree. I don't care if he's being led to Makala prison. Until I see Nkunda in change or shackled in Kinshasa, I'm not going to believe a word that he was being arrested. Because now the reports are leaking out that, quote, unquote, he is in safe hands in Rwanda. Of course he is. Now, let's get down to another situation in Rwanda. Because people, it's been a while. We have to catch up on the news that's been happening out here. People, people, people. First off, it was said that 2,000 troops of the Rwandan army entered Congo. Then it became 3,000 troops entered eastern Congo from Rwanda. Then it became 4,000 troops entered Congo from Rwanda. And again, you have to ask yourself, what about the truth? They're already there all these years. And then on top of this, I see just the other day reports from my people in the East and verifiable sources outside the country. 5,000 Rwandan troops are now in Congo, supposedly as advisors. That's a lot of advisors. I don't know who they're advising. You know, they're probably advising, you know, uh, the FDLR and, some of their little Congolese collaborators, how to loot more efficiently from Eastern Congo. But anyway, so now it's 5,000 Rwandan troops are in Eastern Congo. And on top of that, they brought some cattle, their families, and food. Now, um, again, as Common said in Gladiator, my memory might be a little hazy, but didn't they say that the Rwandans were going there as advisors. So if I here in Los Angeles am going to, we'll say, uh, New York as an advisor, and I'm bringing five suitcases, change of clothes, a couple extra hundred dollars, and some things like that, do you think I'm going to be in New York just for a couple of days as an advisor, or do you get the impression from me that I'm going to be there for a while? Because today, actually yesterday in our time here, uh, President Kabila announced to the nation that the operation of Rwanda in eastern Congo and those cowards, Uganda, in northeast Congo, the Turi region, they're going to be done by February. Well, um, I must ask this question. This, uh, I must prophesy this question here, but um, the last time the Rwandans and Ugandans were in Eastern Congo, Laurent Kabila was in power. 
The second time they come back into Congo, President Joseph could be less in power. Something's going on here. You know, he's taking a really big gamble allowing the Ugandans and the Rwandans back into Congo, again, like they ever left. Because let me tell you something. Kony, the coward from the LRA in uh, Uganda, when he fled into Congo, he was being pursued by the Ugandan army and the southern, southern uh, Sudanese army in conjunction with the Congolese army. And you wonder how three armies from three different countries that are on one border cannot catch this clown named Kony. That's K-O-N-Y. You have to ask yourself that question. Then on top of that, Kony goes on a rampage where in one village he kills 100, another village he kills 200. Last week, they sealed the doors to a church in Congo, burnt it to the ground, burning alive about 600 Congolese. Talk to me, people. Talk to me. And all I can hear from people is they're saying there has to be peaceful negotiations with Kony so that the peace process can proceed. Now, let me tell you how we do things back in the old country of DRC Congo. You can have peace after the repercussion. You see, I like the Roman way of how they did things. If there was a problem, their negotiation was surrender or we're coming. If you don't believe me, go study the history of Roman of the Roman Empire when they were at the height. Not the Republic. There was some stuff going on at the height. I believe the Roman way of solving problems. Surrender or we're coming. So for me, it begs the question, how is it people are so determined that after he murdered six, 600 people in church, burnt them alive? This is last week, people. Go online find for yourself. Murdered another 100 before that. They found more bodies, another 100 yesterday. He's been killing and rampaging. Why is it too many of these people, particularly not those outside the country of Congo, are saying we have to have these negotiations with, with Kony, particularly when there's an international arrest warrant on his head. But Uganda, under Museveni, the mouse. You like that, right? And, uh, I have like about 30 people here, and they're just, you should see if I can get a picture. I'm going to get a, a camera up here one of these days or something and broadcast live. But anyways, Museveni, the mouse, is saying, well, you know, we don't want to... Uh, uh, send Coney, Joseph Coney to the uh, ICC. We want to handle it internally. We will just try him here if that means we have to have a, a truth and re- reconciliation uh, commission or something like that. So be it, but we want to do it the traditional way. Okay. Let me give you a little history about South Africa when they did a little truth and reconciliation. Do you know what the murder rate in South Africa right now is 50 people a day? Or is it 50 people an hour? I think 50 people a day. In South Africa, they had their Truth and Reconciliation Commission where the person that came out there and wiped out Saeed's family sat down in front of you know, Desmond Tutu and those folks and said, I am so sorry for uh, killing your family. Please forgive me. I swear I'm the scripture. I'm a changed person. And then, you know, Desmond, those guys, they're crying and all this stuff and singing Kumbaya, my Lord, and they forgive him. What's the repercussions? You basically send the message to everybody else. Hey, you kill a few people, you bring out some scripture, you apologize, all is forgiven, see the Lord. Forget that stuff, man. I, don't, I, I can't get down with that. This has to be done the Roman way, because the same with Nkunda. Because Nkunda did a massacre a couple months ago. 
and the year before, and the year before, and the year before. So right now, Congo is requesting the extradition of Nkunda back to Congo. Now, if the Rwandans are really, particularly under Kagame, the coward, if they're really serious about this, quote-unquote, reconciliation between the countries, even though it was Rwanda and Uganda that helped murder about 7 million Congolese, and the colony that helped the Rwandans and Ugandans do it, like Bemba and Lubanga, who was sitting up there in the ICC. If Kagame is really serious about peace and stability with the DRC, he'll hand over Nkunda before my broadcast today is over, and tonight I could be able to post a picture of Nkunda in Kinshasa. Now, let's lay down something a little more uh, insidious here. Mr. Nkunda, who's supposed to be, quote-unquote, arrested in Rwanda, well, take a wild guess who replaced him, quote-unquote, as leadership in his former organization, the CNDP. A gentleman by the name of Bosco Tanganda, who used to be in Kunda's chief of staff. Bosco, B-O-S-C-O, Tanganda, N-T-A-G-A-N, as Nancy, D-A. Let, let me give you a little brief situation on uh, Bosco's. It's not like a cleaning product, doesn't it? Hey, you know Bosco? But anyways, let me give you a little background on, on Bosco. It'll take about 30 seconds long. There's an international arrest warrant from the International Criminal Court for war crimes committed by Bosco between 2002 and 2003 in Ituri province. There's, there's the Human Rights Watch, and check those people, I think it's HR, hrw.org or .com, check them out. They documented his direct involvement in the, the CNDPs, that's the organization that uh, Nkunda used to lead, when they massacred at least 150 civilians in the town of Kuwanja in North Kivu. 150 civilians in the town of Kiwanja in North Kivu. Everybody knew he did it. Now, DRC, I believe, is a, is a signatory with the ICC. So there's a problem here because they're violating international law by not uh, surrendering this guy or arresting him. Now, here's something that's even a little more crazier, if, if I recall this. Uh, people are running around saying this is a good thing. Now they're saying we're going re, to reintegrate the rebels. Why are they called rebels in Congo, but they're called insurgents in Iraq? I've always wondered that. But anyways, they want to integrate the, the rebels, quote-unquote, back into the Congolese army. How did we get into the situation in the first place when the Congolese army that was defending the country during the war was forced to be integrated by the very people they fought with? And then when conflict started again in eastern Congo, who's the very people that started the conflict? The former soldiers that were integrated in the army who left and joined in Kunda. So now we're doing the same thing. It's like that Denzel Washington movie, Deja Vu. Have I seen this before? I got to get Sylvester from Congo Vision Online and ask his insight into this. Because this is very interesting. This is the, it's like they said about World War II on the, on the series The Nazis. The reasons, as a historian would say, the causes of a, a future war is usually found in the peace treaty of the prior conflict. We're doing the exact same thing that we did back in 2003, the mixage, as they called it of the rebels back international. Where are these people getting prosecuted? And you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, and now the Congolese army is the biggest violators of, of, of uh, crime in eastern Congo. 
Now, granted, it was a bunch of mouses and spineless men in the colony's army in the east doing things, but a lot of those colonies, this is the colony's army that defended the country when no one's wanted to get down with us. So where's the prosecution? Where's the punishment? You know, explain this to me. So then my question becomes, why is it all the folks that were supported by Uganda, like Lubanga and Bemba and those guys, why are they sitting in prison at the ICC, but the folks that were supported by Rwanda, Lubera and Kunda, Bosco and Wamba de Awamba, why are they walking around free? Talk to me, people. Talk to me. This is what's going on. My God, I'm gone for three days and I have an invasion going on in my country again. It's not good. It's not good. People, when we talk about the corporations making money in Congo, and we talk about the individuals making money in the DRC in the East, we have to we tend to forget another component of who's making money in the Eastern Congo, who's benefiting also by this conflict. Would you like to know? The NGOs. I'm not talking about Ponzi Hospital and stuff like that, but there's a lot of NGOs out there, and they're called non-governmental organizations. They're like uh, they're out there and they're providing services to the community. Uh, outside of the government. Too many of them are making money out of the situation and they're doing the resume out of the situation. I'm not talking about Amnesty International. I'm not talking about Human Rights Watch. Oh, no. I'm not talking about those organizations. I'm talking about those little insidious ones who are out there getting all this money from the West and making these careers in Eastern Congo treating the people they're helping like they're little sheep in Catholic school. These are my, it's like uh, that movie Tears of the Sun where that lady, I think it was Isabella Rosalina, kept referring to the Africans that they were trying to save as, these are my people, these are my people. Who, who, who thought she was, Moses? They're Africans. And during the movie Tears of the Sun, the brother, I think his name was Solomon something, I can't remember, he said to Bruce Willis Captain, these are my people also. People, what do you think would happen if peace came to Congo? Who would it benefit? The Congolese. Who would it not benefit? All those people making money right now. Again, the name of the show is, today's segment is called Denial is Not a River in Egypt. Because there's a whole denial of what's really happening in Congo. Nkunda needs to be surrendered to Kinshasa. Period. Bosco needs to be arrested and submitted to Kinshasa or deported or extradited to the ICC, period. All these people that was raping women, raping men, raping children, kidnapping children, kidnapping men, killing men, recruiting children as child soldiers, looting, looting villages, towns, burning people alive, shooting them to death, they need to be punished, period, case closed. It's the Roman way. Destroy them now, we'll deal with them later. Because mock my words on January 31st, 2009, as I sit here and talk to you people, mock my words. Six months from now in Eastern Congo, you're going to see an explosion of violence. Mock my words. Six months from now, people are going to say the colony's army is responsible for the biggest offender. Then they're going to want to put rules on the colony's army. Basically, you know, cutting off their manhood from, the, from them defending the country. But then on top of that, people, we left out another component to this whole thing. Because when Rwandan soldiers marched back into Congo, though most of them never left in 2003, 
the UN, yes, in Congo, the 15,000-strong force called Nunok, you wonder what they actually do there sometimes, they didn't know anything about it. They were caught with their pants down. Some, U, some, you know, some UN peacekeepers were out there in the bush answering nature's call, heard some feet, you know, stepping behind and turned around and saw columns of Rwandan soldiers with their families and their cows and their provisions walking by them into Congo. The UN wasn't even consulted. They basically, how, how my friends, hey, what's that? Oh, I know. The, the, the UN was, as they say in the United States, bitch slapped by Rwanda. You can mail this to the UN over there in New York if you want to. They got bitch slapped by Rwanda. They didn't call them and say, hey, we're going to come into uh, you got Rwanda into Congo to deal with the FDLR, because that's what the Rwandan troops were supposed to be out there for. They didn't call and say we need logistical support. They didn't call and say this is our motion. This is our, where we're going to be going. This is how long we're going to be there. This is what our operation is about. This is the personnel involved. This is the army we're going to use. No. They basically said, screw the UN. We're going to walk down Figueroa, and we're going into Crenshaw. Uh, Figueroa is a big street in Los Angeles, and Crenshaw is a neighborhood in, in, in Los Angeles, people. Figure of speech. That's what they did. Now, all of a sudden, after the UN got embarrassed, they're saying they're going to be providing logistical support and things like that. Please. Please. Give me a break. You believe that? I got a bridge to sell you in the Sahara Desert. Please. Then on top of that, the sheer indignity of it all. Some of the ministers in Kinshasa didn't even know about it either. They were getting text messages and emails from their relatives in Eastern Congo, like, hey, there are some Rwandans here. So you imagine, can you imagine being a senator in parliament and you're getting a text message from uh, Angie out there or whoever and saying, yo, there's some Rwandans out here and she's texting you and sending a, a photograph of the attachment and you're supposed to be annoying about these things. You're, you know how embarrassing that is? Oh, my God. So this is what's going on. People, it's kind of funny that this whole thing's going down because you can basically see what's coming down the road. You can see what's coming down the road. It's not good. There's going to be more conflict. So right now, let's take our little musical break. Let's see. I don't know. What do I want to do? Hmm. Nah, I want to do that. You know what? I want to dedicate a, I want to dedicate a song to the people out there in, East, in Eastern Congo those guys out there working in, the, in those coal tan fields in the mines, breaking their back for nothing. I want to dedicate a little song to them, take a little break here, dedicate them, then we'll come back. We got about 25 minutes left, and you know we're getting deep, but you know we have to get deeper, deeper to the ocean, deep like Melvin Franklin's voice to lead the bass singer in The Temptations. This song is dedicated to those people working in the coal tan mines, dying and struggling, out there, not seeing their family, wondering when they're going to go home, wondering why they're in a situation, and wondering if anyone even remembers them. This is dedicated to them. Sam Cook, I, I need to do something for me. Can you hook me up from heaven? Where you at, Sam? Where you at?
Can't forget about them, people. Can't forget about them. Can't forget about them. You know, look, there's a lot of emails coming in. So I'm going to answer some email questions. People, you can send me a lot. You know, we're on the chat board. You can come to me live or you can call in. Don't call collect. You know, I'll, I'll treat like a, like a bill collector. 646-595-2892. 646-595-2892. We have a question here. The question is, this is coming from Mary in Toronto. Good Lord. He says, hello, welcome back. Hope you're rested from your measly three-day vacation. Can you believe that? I took a vacation three days. It was embarrassing. But anyways, they're back. Uh, her question is, what, uh, what do you see the situation in Eastern Congo turning out to be in a few months with the arrest of Nkunda and the pursuit of Kony? Do you think things will improve, and how will this lead to the situation that comes to the elections that will take place in 2011? Sign Mary in Toronto. Hey, Mary, thank you for writing in, and thank you for the well wishes, and let's get down to as we get down. I, six months, there's going to be another conflict in the East. No one's being punished. No one's being brought to justice. The, the women have to see these guys who raped and murdered their people, raped them and murdered their husbands or whatever, or force their husbands to rape them, you know, or force their sons to rape them, or the fathers rape the daughter. They're going to be watching their, these same very people on TV or walking around as high under the cover of the military. That's what's going to happen. And that's a, that's a psychological assault on the woman population out there. That's a psychological assault on the people of the DRC in the East who are wondering, you know, why are these people not being brought to justice? As it leads to, and I, on top of that, you have so many kids out there for the last couple of years, who all they know is violence and things like that. That's all they're seeing. That's not what they know. I'm not saying they're born like that, but they've been seeing the violence. And not all the kids are going to overreact or do things crazy. But those that have the dark side, that's not having the leadership. Because remember, in South Africa, apartheid basically was, was an instrument to destroy the black family. They separated the fathers from the family, and you see the result of it now. Now you have the same situation in Eastern Congo where, you know, Families are being separated. Families are being destroyed. And where's the leadership coming from? They're not seeing it from Kinshasa. They're not seeing it, you know, from anybody of authority. You have the village elders doing all they can. You have the village chiefs doing all they can. And you do have some provincial governors doing what they can. 
the first thing they did when they came to the Eastern Congo is that they started hunting down the village chiefs and killing them. It's going to be an flick we're doing. Once upon a time in the Congo, we're going to, uh, we did another scene a couple of weeks ago. It was really good. Um, you know, still editing that piece and we're going in there. But we're going to show what really went down. I'm not talking about showing the murder and the rape and the killing. That's just that's just feeding into a stereotype of what Africa is about, anyways. We're going to show what went down and what they did. But we're going to show the players who were in the boardrooms, the, the political offices, and stuff like that, and their conversations based just on their own testimony of what was said and how how this whole thing, this cover up was taking place. Now you want to know how it's going to affect the election in 2011. You know, people are really worried about that. This is 2009. You know, candidates had to declare themselves in 2010. Instead of wondering, we're talking about the election in um, the DRC, Democratic Republic of the Congo, not in the United States. I believe that's going to be. 2013 or 2012. So 2011 is supposed to be the next um, election for president. And I won't be surprised to see the excuse being, and you can record this show, download it, save it to your iPod, iTunes, you know, to your tilt phone, your T-Mobile, your prepaid. You can say what I'm about to say anywhere you want. I will not be surprised to hear people say, because of the instability in Eastern Congo, we're going to push back the election until we get that stability. I won't be surprised to see that. Wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. Would not surprise me because a lot of people do not want another election. They want to keep the status quo as it is. They really do. So, again, and remember, the last time there was an election, you know, you have to pay $50,000 just to run, you know, or what have you. So we have to wonder what's going to happen. This could really lead to the situation of no elections being taken place in 2011. So where is this change of, of, of leadership that people were being promised during the transitional government? When? Where, where is it? So, Mary, that's, what, that's just my answer to your question. I believe that nothing's really going to change. If anything, things will get worse. Because people are going to say, you know, I can go rape a few women and go join the army, and nothing's going to happen to me. And then on top of that, because there's instability in Eastern Congo, we will have to delay, delay the election. I, you know, I think should that happen, I think I have, I'm in agreement with, uh, I believe it was uh, Crisis Watch or Crisis Group that said, President Kabila is taking a gamble. He has to justify why these troops are there. Now he's saying that the Ugandans and the Rwanda troops are supposed to be out by uh, February. Here's the thing. The FDLR comprised of folks that committed the genocide in Rwanda. Might have not all Hutu, but some of them are the former Rwandan army. The former Rwandan army who we helped train. So there's kind of an allegiance between uh, the DRC and the former Rwandan army. And a lot of people still don't know the situation. Let me explain something to you folks. Um, if I can slide back a little bit. You always see the FDLR. It says it's the Hutu and the Hamwe that helped kill in the genocide of the Tutsis and moderate Hutus. I'm still wondering what a moderate Hutu is. It's like saying, you know, look, if somebody explains what a moderate Hutu is, I'll, I'll, I'll announce it on air. So let me explain something to you. The troops, the Rwandan soldiers are now back in eastern Congo. They're supposed to go confront the FDLR. And now the FDLR is sending off their family members deeper into the country and stuff like that. And some of the rebels are supposedly surrendering. I wonder why they're being called rebels and the people in Iraq are being called insurgents. Someone please answer that question. Hey, Scary Mary Forty, how are you doing? Welcome to the mix. Now, when Nkunda wanted, and I talked about this in, my, in our last show, when Nkunda wanted to attack the FDLR, he did so. But the UN made him stop because his troops are dominated by Tutsi. FDLR is dominated by Hutu. So they said we couldn't have ethnic-on-ethnic ethnic fighting, so they stopped them. 
So now here comes the Rwandan troops into Congo to go deal with the FDLR. Guess who, who's the dominant ethnic group in the Rwandan army? The Rwandan troops. The Tutsi. So where is the outcry now that the, that the, the troops of Rwanda are in Congo are going to come, come, come confront the FDLR? But Nkunda couldn't do it. And I'm, I'm, let's get this right. He was actually confronting them. He wasn't like trying to be their friend. He's like, I want all the power. So these little conversations we have to have, but what sadly was happening is that you're seeing a lot of these discussions taking place without the Congolese involved. Neta Aveli, I don't know if I pronounce her name right, but the global, uh, the Congolese Global Coalition out of D.C., she actually forwarded a letter to me that I put on the listserv, uh, drcnn at yahoogroups.com, drcnn at yahoogroups.com. She sent me a letter that was forwarded by somebody in Eastern Congo. And that's one of the rare moments that I have seen correspondence about what's going on in Congo from the Congolese. Now, another question I want to ask you, people. The election that's taking place in Iraq right now, they have troops all over the place, and they still have an election. Now, the election in Congo is still up in the air. We only have a little over a year left before the candidates have to declare themselves and things like that. Who's going to run? Who's going to do something? So we have to really survey the situation because if they delay the, the, the presidential election, you're talking about President Kabila being in power for almost 10 years. I believe he was part of the transitional government in two, how'd it go, 2003 the war came to me? 2001, uh, Laurent was assassinated, Joseph came to power, he was put in power, whatever. Then we had a transitional government where he was in power again, and now he's the elected president right now. I don't think that I think he will suffer the same situation repercussions that Bush and Clinton suffered when people say we don't need that we want some new blood. So now the question is, you know, is Kashala going to run? I'm hearing word that Oscar Kashala is going to run for office. I'm not too sure. So a lot of things are at stake here, people. A lot of things are at stake. So talk to me. Another question here coming from Patrick in Europe. Patrick, what time is it in Europe? Patrick, where are you in Europe? He writes me again. He's in Paris. Uh, his question is. Who do you think is a viable candidate to run for office that can challenge Kabila in 2011? You know, thank you. Keep up the good work. Signed, Patrick. Hey, Patrick, thanks for writing, and I appreciate it. Well, people, let me rock this to you. Um, I'm hearing rumors that Kashala might run again. Oscar Kashala, I think he got 3% of the vote last time. There's rumors that you know he, he uh, learned uh, the, uh, the errors of his ways, and his strategy is a lot different now. He may run. I don't know who else may run. Gazinga may run. He's getting a little older, though. Maybe the prime minister, maybe the situation of you have in Russia, Russia where um, Putin's the prime minister, but he's really running the country. Maybe the prime minister is going to be a candidate put out there by Kabila. You know, we don't even know if Kabila's going to run again. Is that my time? Let someone else step down, go back to my farm in, in, in Lumumbashi. So we don't know. But right now, I really don't know who's a viable candidate. I still don't know who all the players are. I'm still getting my sources together to see who's going to, be, who's going to get down and make a difference. I really don't know. Right now, the only person that comes to mind is Kashala. But there are certain things he needs to do, and I think one of the things he needs to do is uh, organize the Congolese here, not with the goal of just being a president, but also with the goal of having a base that can speak for him. You can't just say I'm running for office and pop out of blue and say I need your support, because the Congolese are like, well, who are you? You know what? You know the question is, what have you done for the Congolese while you were here? So those are the kind of things that uh, Dr. Kashala is he a doctor? I think he is. I'm not just sure. Let's say Mister. Mister Kashala has to address, and who knows if he does that. You know, he uh, campaigns and lobbies the Congolese people here and people that support the Congo, the true friends of Congo, who are the allies of Congo. You know, that's a, that can go a long way. So you have to get that bridge. He can't play it safe and say, well, I can't say anything about, you know, the Kabila administration or I can't say anything about that. 
Well, you can't toe the line. You toe the line, eventually you're going to slip and fall and, and break your neck. So we have to, he has to really make that decision. But again, Patrick, other viable candidates, I don't know. I really don't know. So we'll see what happens. Uh, next question here is from uh, Susan. She's writing ooh, from Sacramento. Susan, what's going on? How are you? Hope all is well. Um, she wants to know, um, what is my stance on the government Kinshasa? You know, am I pro or against Kabila? Good question, Susan. I got that. I got asked of that some time ago by Lowland Gorilla. He's a listserv member on uh, my listserv DRCNN, and I said, I'm. I really have no for or against feelings against uh, President Kabila. My issue is the Congo. You know, my issue is bigger than him, bigger than what's in the parliament. My issue for me is the country. I'm not saying my view is bigger than anybody's. I'm just saying my issue is the country. I can't have a type to run person. I've never spoken to him. I've never met him. I don't know what goes through his thoughts. I don't know what President Kabila's vibe is. I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know what he's, he wants to do and he's, not, he's prevented from doing. He, President Kabila may want to unleash the presidential guard in eastern Congo, and somehow he's, his hands are being tied. That could be happening to him right now. I don't know. So I'm not going to like say anything negative about him. I don't know the man. You know, I, have, I don't know anything about him. My only issue is that he's not speaking up loud enough about the killing. If Rwanda can milk the genocide, no pun intended, but if they can milk the genocide of 500,000 people in Rwanda to the point where the whole international community is feeling guilty for years, my God, if Kabila had like a, a, a spokesperson on the microphone, what could he do with 7 million murdered in Congo? There's no explanation. You can't rationalize that away. So my issue is just that we don't see enough of them. Every time I see a reporter on him speaking, they always say a rare interview by him. You can't have a president that's rarely seen. You know, you're basically saying to the people, you know, you're not worth anything to me. I'll see you when I have something to say then until then I have nothing to say to you. So my issue is that we just need more communication between the leadership in Kinshasa and the people and the people, you know. I think, again, the, the, I think right now too many people are taking the Congolese people for granted. They think we're just going to sit there and keep taking this abuse. Yeah, okay. There's 10 million people in the Kivus. They decide to head east for like 10 miles. Half of the quarter of one is gone. So, look, people. Let's not throw a party that Nkunda was arrested, all right? Let's not throw a party that, oh, now they're integrating the people back into the, into the troops, back into Congolese soldiers. Let's not throw that kind of party. Let's not throw a party of saying, oh, peace at last, peace at last. No, people, the guy that replaced, I'm sorry, excuse me, forget me, correct myself. The gentleman that supposedly, quote, unquote, replaced Nkunda, Bosco, has an international warrant on his head. Why are we throwing a party that Himmler was arrested, but Hitler, I'm sorry, let's take it around. We're throwing a party that Hitler was arrested, but now Himmler is in charge. You think the Jews and the Gypsies and the Roman would throw a party? No. They'd be like, no, he's still there. He's the same policy. So people. And who's protecting the civilians of Congo? The UN had no clue that these people were coming in. They have 15,000 troops. Now, oh, we have a question here from Tony in Michigan. Tony, what's going on? How are you? Hope all's going well. What's your question, brother? Okay, here's his question. What could, what could Munich, he spelled a little wrong, but what could Munich do to really cripple these rebel movements in Congo? Good question, Tony. And I'll tell you, it's actually something that a friend of mine was asked some time ago. Let me answer it this way. There are 15,000 troops of Munich. All they got to do is 
you stick them on the border of Rwanda and Uganda, there you go. You have access to satellite footage. You have access to anything you want. They seal the borders of Rwanda and Uganda. Arms don't come in. Folks can't flee. It's closed. That's simple. Then, because basically what you're doing is you're cutting off the, the logistical supplies to these quote-unquote rebels, and they have no place to go. There you go. But the U.N. is a little tainted because, as a lot of people know, they were out there, you know, too many of the I think that it was the Pakistanis or the Indian contingent. I think it was the Pakistanis, I'm not too sure, was conv- you know, were, too many of the U.N. was raping a lot of the Congolese women. They would offer them like a cookie and then rape them. Document it. So the U.N.'s hands aren't clean. So for me, it goes back to something I said some time ago, people. The Congolese, we have to take care of our business. We have to be like, look, regardless, this is our country. We got to take care of business. Everybody has to pay. We have to stop saying, you know, we can ask what the U.N. can do. We can talk about what Rwanda is doing. We can talk about the U.N. or Uganda. The people, we're Congolese. We need to take care of our own business. Do it the Roman way. Punish and destroy, deal with them later. That is not my view. Otherwise, or you can ship them to the ICC, arrest them. So this comes back again to the beginning of what we saw. Denial isn't a river in Egypt. That's the segment, that's the name of the segment. People, a lot of folks out there are in denial of what's really going on in the DRC. And one of the reasons why is that it's been made to be so complicated and convoluted People don't know what to believe or don't know what to think. So when Ben Affleck and those folks or whoever are talking about just Nkunda, 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 and the word comes out that he was quote-unquote Nkunda was arrested, people celebrating, throwing prizes, like, oh, my God, yes, yes, yes. Then they forget that. What about all these other people like the Rafas and the FDLR that's there killing people? Whatever. My attitude is something that I said some time ago. Congo needs a Maximus. If you remember Gladiator, Maximus cared about only two things. Killing Commodus because he murdered his wife and son and restoring Rome to the Republic from which it came. That was Maximus. I always said the son should be called the Max. Someone said, well, if I ran for office, I just said to a friend of mine, you know what? if I ran for president back in the DRC, I would name my campaign the Maximus campaign. Because right now, someone once said that Connolly's a moral savior. Uh, no, there's a lot of moral people in DRC. It's like 69% Catholic. We have uh, Kambanguists, we have Muslims, we have everybody there. But ask yourself, we are surrounded by nine countries. How many people have we, has Congo invaded? We have no interest in invading people. People always want to start with us. So the word has to go out, people. Congo, as Congolese, we need to take our own business. If you're in the States, in the community, you can say Obama, President of Obama, and congratulations on his swearing in. He can do X, Y, and Z, but it begins with you in home. You take care of business. If my woman's being raped, I'm not going to run out the house and look for the police and say, come help me, come help me. No. That's my woman. I'm going to do what I can to take care of business right there and then. Kill the guy or die trying. I mean, I don't have a girlfriend, so I'm just saying. <laughs> but you, you understand the analogy. But unfortunately, 
we're too busy looking at other people to help us. We're looking at other people to protect us. And once you do that, it's like a crack dealer and a crack head. You'll do anything that the crack dealer tells you to do just to get that crack because you're addicted. If we keep taking money from people outside the country, considering we have all that money in the ground, people are, are going to threaten us with pawning that money. So my Congolese out there in cyberspace, you can get your marches on, you can get your rallies on, you can do all those things. But when the sun goes down, it's our country. We need to do it the Roman way. We need to defend our country. The Americans have no problem doing it. The British have no problem doing it. Come to the microphone and say, we are part of the war on terror, and our terrorist is coming from Rwanda and Uganda. Case closed. But until we do that, or are going to be in a situation where people that don't know what's going on or are profiting from what's going on, or we don't care what's going on, is going on, are going to keep making money and going to keep allowing these people to do these murders and rapes and conscriptions of children, and no one's going to be punished. Nobody's going to be punished. And what was said down in Haiti when the UN went down there, when they were training all these police officers and things like that, one of the trainers asked one of the Haitian uh, police officers in training and said, what do you think will help in reference to uh, law enforcement here in Haiti? And one of the senior officers stood up from using the former Haitian army. He says, if you, can pro- if, you, he goes, if you prosecute one of these vicious killers in Haiti, now deal with the rest. That's what we need in Congo. Do you know they're, they're actually, I believe, showing footage of the Lumago trial in ICC? And I remember John Prendergast was in a conversation with his friend, I can't remember his name, Provo, something like that. He's a Haitian guy, works at the State Department, a Haitian-American or whatever. And I believe it was he, or I think it was John who talked about that. Because someone asked the question, why can't they see the trial in Detroit and know what's going on? I think he brought that the suggestion or the idea that they was actually going to broadcast this, they should broadcast the trials in Ituri, which is a province in northeast Congo. And they're actually doing that now. But so many people showed up to watch it, they were turned away. And the people that support Luganda, Lubanga, who's, in, who's on trial for recruiting child soldiers, were threatening people that were against them because basically it was the, Lin, the Hema and the Lindu. So, you know, people, I'm sorry, Congolese, like Michelle Obama said this the other day. In fact, if you want, I, I'll try to find the source and say, well, she said this. Um, you don't have to protest in front of the White House to explain, to uh, get President uh, Obama's attention that there's disparity and problem in the black community. This is what she said. Her exact words, you don't have to protest from the White House to get to let President um, Obama know what's going on in the community. He already knows. And he's going to allow the people, the participants in the community to sit at the table while his problems are going on. That's what we're doing. We're protesting, but are we protesting in the right way? Are we protesting on the right days for there to be a protest? Are we allowing the right speakers to be at a protest? What are we doing beyond that? Because the very same people are protesting to are the very same people who put us in the situation in the first place. So we're going to wrap this up. We've got four minutes left, people. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, in about a half hour, 7 o'clock, it's going to be word on the street. We're going to talk about today's spotlight is going to be Hollywood producer Courage Kimber, the librarian. So let me give you some news to get out of here. No, not yet. I don't entertain so much music. I got to play royalties. But people, we'll be back again next Saturday, 530.
We have to do some more stuff in reference to the Congo film. It's coming, people. It's coming. Just hold on. If you want to send a donation, send a donation in to help produce the Congo film, and I'll give you producer's credit. Just write me. And I'm dead serious. I take money where it comes from. People, nothing is changing in eastern Congo except the exchanging of one murderer for another one. And I think if things don't get rectified soon in the DRC, something's about to go down that none of us expected. And once again, the civilians who are caught on the, who are caught on the crossfire are going to pay the price. And me personally, I'm getting tired of seeing that. It's becoming taxing to me. It's becoming tiring to me. So to my Congolese who are in the diaspora in America or in Europe, Let's start working the media. Some people can protest. That's cool. Other folks in Hollywood or records, whatever, let's start doing what we can do to get the movement going. Because people, it's our country as Congolese. We are the ones that need to bring the righteousness to our country. And we are the ones who are going to have to defend it. People will respect you because you're defending your country. But if you're pleading to them, defend the country, we're basically back in the situation of being colonized by the Belgians where they look down on us and they got their little force public, their little Bembas and Lubangas to do their dirty work. And if we allow someone to defend our country before we defend it ourselves, you know what? We might as well just bring back the Belgians. Why not? Just bring them back. Because our people, Lalinga, Bukaya, in, in, in Central Congo, Pierre Mulele, Patrice Lumumba, Mulopwe, uh, Jean Lumumba, all these people, Guy Lumumba, all these people that died and fought for our independence right now are rolling in their grave and are really upset because what's happening in the Eastern DRC is not what they fought for when they wanted to get our independence. People, time's up. See you next Saturday, 5.30 Pacific Standard Time. Much love, much love. And what's going to happen is that once we are free in Congo, we're going to be free. Lisa Gerard, Hans Zimmer, talk to me. Good night.
didn't like that.